How are you this morning? Good. Good. That's right. Amen. Hey, I wonder if any of you can relate to where I'm at today. There's a lot going on. Tons of stress. Sometimes it's feeling like things are spinning out of control. Things that I have thought were under control. Maybe you're in a spot where you're wondering what really is true. Because we're hearing so many different things. You know, in this time, we need to stop and remember. We need to stop and remember. And so, because Pine Grove Community Church um, supports us at Fort Wilderness, I want to share with you a little bit of this connection because that was our theme this summer. The theme this summer was remember. All right, Ian. There we go. All right. To remember, to recall, to reflect, and to respond. Well, what are we supposed to remember? In the midst of this crazy year, in the midst of all these unknowns, what is it that we're supposed to remember? Next slide. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. And apparently my uh, early morning editing means I cut this a little short, so I will read, but here it is. It says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, And I will accomplish all of my purposes. Let's remember that. This summer at Fort Wilderness, we encouraged our campers to come and slow down and remember. You see, Fort Wilderness exists to influence lives for eternity through God's words, adventure programs, and wilderness and warm Christian fellowship. And this summer, we were only allowed to minister to about 50% of our normal campers. But of those 50%, they were able to come, and we were reminded them, this is who God is. And this is what He says He will do. Because this is from God's Word. And we encourage them to take time and remember And one of the fun things that we got to do, and uh, one too many, there we go, is we got to do worship service outside at the beach looking out. And I tell you, to be in the midst of God's creation, worshiping is awesome. And one of the cool things that, that happened was there's people who had not been able to worship corporately in months that came together from all over the country and worshiped God. Now, you may be asking, why am I sharing this? Part of it is, is I want you to know 
because Pine Grove supports Fort Wilderness, this is what happened this summer. People's lives were impacted. People were encouraged in their faith. People made professions of faith. But the reality is it has nothing to do really with Fort Wilderness. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. He's the one who calls, who saves. And we just ask, take the time to remember. So today, I'm going to share with you some of the things that I taught for the middle school kids this summer. But I'm going to ask that it's not about me, it's not about Pine Grove Community Church, but what you remember is who God is. Peter says this. This was so encouraging to me when I started teaching. I will remind you of these things even though you already know them and are firmly established in truth that you have now. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent in the body. So today... Maybe you're going to hear something new. But the truth is, for many of us, it's going to be a reminder. A reminder of God's truth. As we get started, let's just pray. Father God, we come before you today. We worship you. We praise you. And God, we ask that today, that you will become more and more and more in our lives. Lord, in this service that you will increase and I will decrease. Father, we pray that your Spirit will speak to our hearts, move in our lives. God, we ask that you alone will be exalted and glorified. So Lord, as we open your Word, teach us your truth, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. So our main takeaway that I really want you to get, comes from this passage in Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10. And I tried to, to, to boil it down a little bit. Now the truth is, is all of it's really good. But this is what I've learned. I can have three, four points, and you'll walk out of here, and at the end of the day, somebody will go, what did you learn in church today? And you may go, hmm, it was good. Or you may go, well, <laughs> survive that one, Right? So some of you, I also know, have a hard time staying awake because of, you know, life. So here it is. You will pass the test at the end of the day if you remember this. Remember, the Lord is God and there is none like Him. His counsel will stand and He will accomplish all of His purposes. Isn't that what we need to hear today? It's what I need to hear today. That's what I need to hear about what's going on in politics. That's what I need to hear about what's going on in my, in my work life. That needs what I need to hear what's going on in, in my family, my extended family. It's what I need to hear. It's the truth that I need to hang on to. So, seeing that is true. Did you catch that? Seeing it is true. Not if it is true, but because it is true, there is one thing that we know for sure that is true, and that's God's Word, always. Doesn't matter what else you hear, the one thing we know for sure is true is God's Word. So seeing this is true, 
let's take a look of how we should live. Let's, how do we live out this truth? You guys, I grew up often knowing the truth, but not knowing how to live it. Right? Any of you been there? I mean, I grew up as this kid, love God. Great! How? I know how to love my mom and my dad. I know how to love my brother. But how do I love God? And so today, I really want to dig into how to live out the truth of remembering the Lord is God and there is none like Him, that His counsel will stand and He will establish all of His purposes. So we all have our opinions about COVID, politics, masks, the Packers, but remember, the only thing we know is true is God's Word. This summer, one of the things I got to do was I got to teach the middle school kids, and for eight weeks, we got to spend time studying the book of Daniel. And we're going to do it all today, right? So I got five days of teaching. We're going to cover it all today. The truth is, is uh, we're not going to do all five of what I, all, day, all the days that I did, but we are going to take a look at the book of Daniel, and I want to come and have look at five different things from Dan, the book of Daniel. So I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Dan, the book of Daniel. That is where we're going to spend a chunk of our time. Because this is what Daniel did well. Daniel lived a life that was fully dependent on God. He lived a life that was fully dependent on God because he believed that God is who he says he is. So scenario number one, and Ian, I'll just let you change them from now on because it'll just be scenario one, two, three, four, five. Scenario number one comes from Daniel chapter one. And uh, as we look at this, here's the danger and the struggle that we have. We just read it as fact sometimes. Here's what I need you to know. Daniel actually lived. He actually had times in his life that he was scared to death. He experienced pain. He experienced grief. He experienced not knowing what was coming next. Just like you. Just like me. So as we look at this, don't just read it and go, okay, yep, there's the facts. This, I want you to just look at it and go, man, what would it have been like to go through this. So Daniel lived in the city of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom falls to the Syrians. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, come. Can you imagine the terror of what was going on in the hearts of the people of Jerusalem? Everybody that Nebuchadnezzar went up against, he destroyed. Everyone the Babylonians faced. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes the city of Jerusalem. And in that process, he goes in and he takes articles out of the temple of God, but he also takes Daniel and several other young people for those of you that are here today that are in your teens, that's 
what is believed to be the age of Daniel, somewhere in that 12 to 16-year-old age, 13 to 16, somewhere in that ballpark. Think what it would have been like to be ripped out of your parents' home, to be ripped out of everything that you knew, to be made a slave and to hike 500 miles. Now think about this 500 miles. I was there last year. It's awesome. Going north out of Jerusalem. It is rocky, it is mountainous, and it is hot. You don't have your air conditioning. You don't have your water bottle. And then you get to this great city of Babylon. 500 miles later, you're barely walking. You go in. Potentially, it was made a eunuch. Potentially, it was neutered. His name was taken away and he was given a name of this false god. He was named after an idol. Can you relate to this? Well, maybe not exactly to those details. But maybe you can relate to just when you think things are bad and they can't get any worse, they do. Maybe you've witnessed horrible things and you can't get past those things. They just keep sticking around in your mind. Maybe you have received a prognosis that feels like you've been punched in the gut and that there's no hope. So how does Daniel respond in this situation to show that he has total dependence on God. Look with me at Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. You may say, what is the big deal? Right? Everything around you has fallen. What's the big deal? And here Daniel chooses not to defile himself. Oswald Chamber describes sin in his book on biblical ethics as defiance. It is to defy what God has said and to do what you think is best. That's rebellion. It's, I'm thinking that I know what is best. Independence from God, you guys. Independence, when I choose to live independent from God, I go with what I think is best, not what God's word says. And I tell you, most likely, if I was sitting in Daniel's shoes that day, and all of a sudden, you thought you were going to be a slave in this horrible situation, and instead you were chosen to be in this place of predominance, this place where you will be trained up to be potentially in the king's court where this great, wonderful food is coming, and you can eat it. So, so what if it's unclean because it's been sacrificed to idols? So what if it's pork? It's good food. Have you been there? 
Have you in your mind seen what God's law, God's word says, and then start rationalizing why you should do it your way instead of not God's way? Instead of God's way. You been there? I have. But Daniel resolved. Why? He knew there is only one God that he should worship. And that by eating this, God, this food that has been offered to idols, it was sin. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise, be not wise in your own eyes, and turn away from evil. Daniel chose to live dependently on God. Sometimes we choose not to rock the boat. Daniel was in a spot where to say, no, I'm not going to eat the king's food, but I'm going to choose vegetables. By the way, does that, I'm sorry, some of you might choose vegetables. I'm not one of those. Okay, that doesn't seem wise to Jonathan, who likes his meat and potatoes and life's simple. So, but the other part is he chose to rock the boat. He just, he stood up in the midst of it. Can you imagine? It would have been simpler to just go along with it. But he chose not to. Why? Because when we choose to be dependent on God, we have to say give up our rights. We have to say no to ourselves. We have to say no to our flesh. Jesus says, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But, he who, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you want to live a life that's totally dependent on Jesus Christ, you have to say no to your flesh. You have to die to yourself. It means you have to do what may look like the dumbest thing in the world to do, but it's being obedient to what God's Word says to do. The prophet Isaiah said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So today, I just encourage you, will you choose to go with your thinking? Or will you go with God's thinking? I encourage you to be paying attention to the thoughts that run through your mind because you and I very easily can justify our actions. But God calls for us to be obedient to his word. Daniel believed that God was in control. So as you have your Bible there in chapter 1, take a look at verse 2, and it says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. If you look at verse 9, it said, God gave Daniel favor. 
verse 17. And God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel to understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel was so confident in God's sovereignty that these horrible things that happened, he could see God's hand. When we live dependent on God, we can see God's hand even in the midst of the horrible. Scenario number two. Act justly. Seek mercy. Walk humbly. In chapter two of Daniel, we see Daniel live this out. Here again is the situation. King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, the most powerful person in the world at this time, has a dream. Dream means a lot in those days. And so, King Nebuchadnezzar calls in his wise men and he asks them the impossible. Right? He asks them, hey, tell me the dream and then what it means. And of course, the wise men go, no, 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 no. You tell us the dream, we'll tell you what we think it means. We'll make up something that makes us look good. And the king says no. And then he throws a fit. You've got to love kings or people in power that throws fits. And Nebuchadnezzar, as you read through the book of Daniel, has a temper problem. He throws a fit and he orders that all the wise men are to be killed. To be torn limb from limb. Sounds like a good plan. Here's the rub. Even though Daniel, Jadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because I remember their Babylonian names better than their Hebrew names, had proved to be, at the end of chapter 1, ten times wiser they weren't invited to that interpretation party. Have you been there? Have you been the one who really should be the one getting this question sent your way or being in this situation? And it is just not right. Just not right that you were overlooked. Have you been there? And then, now, this is how I envision that it happened from what Scripture said. Dream, middle of the night. So the middle of the night, there was this knock on Daniel's door. And he goes to the door, and there's Arioch, the king of the guard. And he asks a question, Arioch, why are you here? And he hears that he is there to kill him. What do you do? Slam the door in his face? Run for your life? Right? Isn't that our natural instinct to do? But look in Daniel chapter 2. So again, starting in verse 12, it says, Because of this, the king was angry, because the wise men couldn't answer. And he commanded that the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So he did, the decree went out, and the wise men that the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Ariak, the king 
the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So think about this. How do you respond with prudence and wise and wisdom? This is maybe one of the hardest things that we have Christians, as Christians have to figure out. You see, God gave us a brain and we are to use it. And yet, in chapter 1, it didn't seem like Daniel was using his brain. He was just being obedient. Don't think about it, just obey. You see what I'm saying? There's this time and this place. How do you know and act and choose differently. Prudence is wisdom applied to practical matters. Wisdom applied to practical matters. How did Daniel re- respond? He responded with wisdom in real life situations. Remember what wisdom is? Wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. That's the first thing. We always must start with fear of the Lord. So how did we know that Daniel responded in such a way that he was dependent on the Lord? Starting in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the manner known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that night. You see that? He went to his friends. And the words he said were, seek mercy from the God of heaven. You guys, I don't know what the situations you are going through in your life. But this is what I do know. If we are living dependent on God, we need to seek mercy. Do you, do you know what mercy is? Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Or not getting what you, yeah, okay. <clears throat> you got it, right? Oh, we'll get it to come again. All right? Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Whew. Glad that wasn't on the test today. Okay, and so I want you to think about it. Most of the time when you pray, do you pray from that standpoint? Seeking God to not give you what you deserve. Most of the time when I pray, I go, God, I, God this. I, I don't look at it as like I'm not worthy. I don't look at it as, if you want to be honest, the only thing that Jonathan deserves is eternal punishment. Separation from God. Because apart from God, that's all Jonathan deserves. Apart from Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that's what I deserve. Do you seek God's mercy when you pray? Or do you go forward with your rights? Do you pray that I deserve this? I mean, look at the things that I've done. I mean, Daniel could have simply sat back and looked, okay, God, I chose not to defile myself. 
You owe me. But he didn't. Seek God's mercy. Daniel also chose to walk humbly. So again, there's things that God does that blows our minds. And God revealed this dream and its meaning to him. But even before he goes in before the king, it tells us that Daniel's response to the revelation of the dream Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom, I'm sorry, this is verse 20, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my Father, I give thanks and praise For you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what it is we ask for. For you have made known to us the king's manner. Part of walking humbly is praising God, giving thanks, recognizing that it wasn't you. Do do you know sometimes we do this? It's just so, really? We pray, we ask God, He answers our prayer, and we go, look what I did. Part of walking humbly for, is giving thanks and praising God for the things that He has done, the things He is doing, because it's recognizing, I can't do it. It's not me. Humble people give glory to God. Starting in verse 25. Oh, oh, by the way, as we look at this, look at the difference between what Arioch says and what Daniel says. It's fascinating to me. Okay? Then Arioch brought, to Dan, brought Daniel before the king in haste and said, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles. Oh, by the way, if you look back, Daniel went to Arioch. He's claiming credit for something he didn't even do. Okay, we're going to continue. A man who will make known to the king's interpretation, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in later days. You guys, for us to live totally dependent on God, we need to give God the glory. We need to walk humbly. By the way, Daniel's dream reveals what's going to happen in the years to come. It's awesome. Scenario number three, stand firm. Okay, Daniel's not in this chapter. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar. Even though he has this dream, God reveals this dream, you'd think he would start to go, wow, 
There's something greater than me. But he doesn't. He builds a statue all about himself, and he then makes a command for all, that the, lead, all the leaders to come and bow down before this statue and to worship it. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a choice to obey man or obey God. That's a hard spot to be in. Obey man or obey God. But they chose to obey God because God's commands were so clear. Deuteronomy 20 says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything on heaven above or on the earth below or in the water or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Here's our challenge today. Where do we obey man? We obey God all the time. That should be our rule. But finding that line when what God, the man is asking is against what God says. Just a couple quick things on that. The first question I'd encourage you to ask is, are you living and acting totally dependent on God? Or are you being wise in your own eyes? Are you making your own choice? The other one is, is does Scripture clearly state this? Meaning, not just in this one verse where I can take it and twist it, but all of Scripture. Does this fit within the revelation of God's Word as a whole? But boy, you guys, this is something we need to be constantly be praying about as the world goes forward. Because we want to stand right before God. And being right before God means we obey Him over man. But He has set people up over us. It is a challenging place to be. But as we continue on, we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. They go before the king again, who throws another temper tantrum, right? Because they will not. Pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. Nothing like bait and God, right? Who's the God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know, I really like to tell people what I think. Don't you? We are really quick to be sure to tell people what we think. O king... I do not need to an- we do not need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden images that you have set up. When we believe that the Lord is God and there is none like Him, that His counsel will stand and He will accomplish all of His purposes, we have an incredible confidence that God is able. He is able. No matter how dark it is, 
before you. Doesn't mean that he will do exactly what you think he wants he will do. Daniel would still be living in Jerusalem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not be in this spot where there's this burning furnace and an angry king. But they still believe that God is able. Do you believe that today? And when you believe that the Lord is God and his, all his purposes will be accomplished, you are willing to accept the even-ifs. You're willing to accept the even-ifs, which is so hard. See, in scenario number four, love your enemy. Here in chapter four, we get to see God do the impossible. And the truth is, you guys, we are doing such a... High overview, we're missing a lot of it. I encourage you, read Daniel 1 through 6. Read it all, it's all amazing. But 1 through 6 is a little easier to understand. It gets harder as you go. But it's still really, really good. But here it is. Here's this king, the most powerful man in the world. And again, he has a dream. And nobody can interpret his dream until he calls Daniel. Daniel comes in and he goes before the king in verse 19 of chapter 4. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered him and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemy. I got to ask you this. If somebody ripped you out of your home, drug you 500 miles away, potentially neutered you, put you in a spot where, where you had to constantly be making choices, are you going to obey God or man? Would you not be sitting there going, woohoo? Because this dream talked about God taking the most powerful man in the world and humbling to the point that he would be out eating grass like a donkey, like an ox. Wouldn't you love that to see that for some people? Okay, I know some of you guys are seeing people's names running through your mind. Wouldn't that be, I mean, just like, oh, yeah. Their hair growing long like the feathers of an eagle. Their fingernails growing and circling around. Whew. And yet Daniel was disturbed that this would happen to the king to the one person who's responsible. If you believe that it was man that's responsible. But Daniel's belief was God is the one who is sovereign over all. Jesus tells us in Matthew, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Daniel showed honor to this man that he probably, according to all of us, had every right 
to hate. He honored him. In verse 27 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and let your iniquities be showing mercy to the, to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be lengthen, a lengthening of your prosperity. When we love our enemies, we honor those who don't deserve to be honored. When we love our enemies, we care for their soul. Do you see this? Daniel is concerned about the soul of Nebuchadnezzar. I'll be honest. Often in our world we hear, go to hell. And Daniel's going, no, repent of your sin. Turn to God. Because he's caring for the soul of his enemy. You guys, when we live dependent on Jesus Christ, we will love those that persecute us. Just a quick side note, and it's going to be quick. Hey, here's one of the greatest, most powerful men in the world. God humbles him. God humbles him to such a point that as you read Daniel chapter 4, what you will see is actually this horrible tyrant praising God and telling everybody else, you have to too. There's none like him. Isn't that amazing? You guys, there is hope. Don't ever live like there's not hope because God is still on the throne. Scenario number five. Actually, Daniel chapter six. I love Daniel chapter five. If you get a chance to read it, it's pretty awesome. I mean, so Nebuchadnezzar dies. It's technically believed that it's actually his grandson who is king, and this is Daniel chapter five. He's a moron. He does bad, makes bad life choices. All right, and, uh, and in this, what happens is, is all around, Babylon is following. But the city of Babylon, he's in there and going, nobody can do it. Check it out. Historically, the city fell without a shot fired. Check out how they did it. It's fascinating. But that's not what we're talking about. We're in Daniel chapter 6. Because of the fall in Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, by the way, which is part of the, uh, the fulfillment of, De- of Nebuchadnezzar's dream earlier, the Medes and the Persians, this split kingdom, which is exactly what fit into the dream, are now in control. And Darius is the king. And King Darius, he sets up the 120 provinces, and of the 120 provinces, he sets a person in charge of each of those 120. And over the 120, he sets three to make sure that the king's interests are being taken care of. And Daniel was one of the three. Look in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, and became an excellent, or because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaints against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. 
Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 10. When Daniel knew... I'm sorry, I'm skipping real quick. So they then go to the king and say, Hey, king, make this great decree that everybody, nobody can pray except for to you. That sounds good, especially when you're a king. Hey, yeah, I'm the one. And so he agrees to it. He makes this law that everybody must pray and worship him. And by the way, the laws the, peasant, the Medes and Persians make can't be revoked. They can't be changed. So once it's set, it's set. And then verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chambers toward, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before the God, his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and pleas before his God. Do you see what happened? Daniel is being convicted for his righteousness. And even though the law is clear, he doesn't change. He keeps doing what he always has done, seeking God. The king convicts Daniel, not because he wants to, but because he has to. Verse 16. Then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Do you see that? Daniel has a great reputation of serving God continually. Can the same be said of you and of me? Would you be convicted today for your righteousness? Or do the people around you only see you and what you do? Verse 19, Then at daybreak the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Here's the reminder. Truly, God is the judge. Daniel was found innocent before God. We aren't living, not living my life so that you are impressed about how righteous I am. I want to live my life right before God. But in the process of living our life righteous before God, it will be evident to those that are around us. Remember, the Lord God is your judge. Well, now it's time for me to drop the bomb preach this whole sermon, it's full of truth, and you can't do it. Isn't that encouraging? All this great stuff from the book of Daniel, and you can't do it. You see, you can't live a life totally dependent on Christ. You can't choose every day and serve God. 
You can't act justly, seek mercy, and walk humbly. You can't stand firm. You can't love your enemies, and you can't love righteousness by yourself. First John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. This is not Jonathan being good enough. Jonathan being righteous enough. It is what we talked about very early in the sermon, in the message. It is the righteousness of God put on us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is us living out that righteousness. It is the Spirit of God in you that enables you to live and act and work in that way. But if you try to do it by yourself, it's you being independent from God. It's you going, I can do this. You can't. You can never be enough. But Christ in you is more than enough. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is acceptable before God. So when you go and you live your life, don't be trying to do this on your own. Humbly submit yourself to God. Humbly say, God, I need you. I can't do this. I need Christ in me to overflow out of me, to change my thoughts, to transform my actions so that Jesus Christ alone is glorified. That is our heart's desire. That is how we can live like Daniel. And as you look through the book of Daniel, you will see that Daniel was recognized by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel has the spirit of the gods in him. No, he had the spirit of God. Is the Spirit of God visible in you? Are you becoming less so Christ can become more? Are you living like it says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is our heart's desire. So today, I just want to challenge you to remember, the Lord is God. And there is none other. He will, his, will accomplish all of his, his counsel will stand and he will accomplish all of his purposes. Will you live today with that great faith? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you, God, for Christ who died in our place and is willing to live Oh, his righteousness in us. May we choose to submit ourselves to Jesus. For your honor, for your glory, we pray. Amen.